0: Hello, thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang podcast. This is Olena this week. We have episode 64 with Orion J. Bradshaw. Orion plays Doc in the Village Theater's current production of Crimes of the Heart. It's a fantastic story about family dynamics, and we're really excited to talk to Orion about his experience in the play. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22, and finally Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book it Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. Uh, And we've also just launched the 2016 membership drive, so check that out as well. Clearly, uh, I'm a little bit associated with Island Shakespeare Festival. Uh, For more information on how you can become a Theatrical Mustang sponsor, check out our website, www.theatricalmustang.podbean.com, or find us on Facebook, Theatrical Mustang. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy today's episode. This is Olina filling in again for Ms. Katie Woodsick. And I am here today with Orion Bradshaw, who is playing Doc in the Village Theater's production of Crimes of the Heart, which I just saw the dress rehearsal of last night, and I loved it. I thought it was, it's a fantastic production of a, what can be a tricky play, and is a play that I am familiar with, mostly from school, from lots and lots of acting classes. It's a very popular script for scene study classes. So I'm excited to talk about this great production. Orion and I know each other from Ashland. We met, I guess, in 2010 when you were closing the run of Hamlet.
1: Yeah, long run of Hamlet.
0: Very (laughs) long run of a fantastic production of Hamlet 2010. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your theatrical history, as it were?
1: Yeah, Um, so got started in theater in high school, at Ashland High School, uh, junior year, kind of took the class thinking it would be an easy A, I just needed an elective credit, and I thought (laughs) that it would just be a super clever idea on my part to take a class where I could just like mess around, be an idiot, get an A on the report card. It's pretty good,
0: it's pretty, yeah, yeah. And it's
1: not easy, it's a lot harder (laughs) than people think. but I, I I never went back, so um, I've been doing that um, since junior year of high school, which would have probably been, you know, 2002, something like that. So uh, I then, after high school, went to Southern Oregon University to get my degree, my bachelor's degree in theater arts. Uh, the, actually, the original plan with Southern Oregon University was to go there for a year, fill out some applications for, like, conservatories, because I thought that's what actors did. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. I was still pretty naive at the point about <laughs> theater artists and what, what we do. And I,
0: I I'm naive about theater artists and what we do. What do we do? I I, do I, you know, I, know. I don't I I'm
1: still, I am still <laughs> baffled at times. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but you know, the experience there very quickly made friends. Very quickly realized that the liberal arts degree was from me. So I just stuck around at home. Um, as you know, even though some of your friends from high school make fun of you going to college at home that's what I did and then right out of college I was lucky enough to be able to do three seasons at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival where I essentially saw my first example examples of awesome regional theater you know putting a lot of money into storytelling for the purpose of making it accessible and telling a story that appeals to a wide range of people so I mm-hmm. felt really um lucky and and honored to do three seasons there and then from there in 2011 after finishing up the aforementioned um, Hamlet production in 2010 I moved to Portland Oregon to start a classics theater company with my good friend Ty Boyce and we uh we started the theater um at the Mile Post 5 Courtyard in Portland, Oregon, it was a, a, an artist's residence. We did an outdoor, free outdoor Shakespeare production, Romeo and Juliet, that summer. And then just kept going from there. Um, and, yeah, served on the, on the admin for that for a while, as well as doing plays for them, acting, directing, being a part of the educational team. And now a lot of the, a lot of the original staff has walked away from Post 5 to essentially pursue our own. Solo careers, acting or directing mm-hmm. or producing elsewhere, and that's where I'm at, and this is that, that that's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, here in Issaquah, in Issaquah. <laughs> yeah, little old Issaquah, I love it here. Um,
0: <laughs> it's a really cute downtown. I it's really great. I have everything Issaquah I I need
1: right great. right next to me. Yeah. Um and so uh, yeah, so that's what's brought me here. Is is uh, I auditioned for them. Oh gosh, in the kind of late summer, I guess, Mm -hmm. and I've heard so much about the theater through a lot of my Seattle-area peers, and, um, yeah, we're opening Crimes of the Heart on Thursday.
0: So, it's interesting to me that Crimes of the Heart is still produced. Yeah. Just, you know, it's like, it's old at this point. It's an older script, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of in a funny era for American theater, I think, that, like... You know, after Tennessee Williams and all the mid-century greats, there's this interesting period I think where the style was still kind of emerging from that and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it all takes place in one room and is um very much about like a family and their secrets and trials and tribulations and subtext and acty stuff. Um <laughs> So it's, you know, very, like, pre-contemporary theater, Yeah, I think. And it's, it's interesting to me that it still appeals to a modern audience, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, so what do, what,
0: what do you think about that?
1: Oregon? Yeah, I, I, and I do agree with you there. I mean, I, I've seen um, a couple of productions, and they were both educational theater productions, mm-hmm. so it totally tainted my opinion of the play. <laughs> um, needless to say, I don't think educational theater should really be dealing with this script at all anymore. Um, And then, you know, saw the movie uh, in preparation for the audition, which is, it's fine. It's a a fine film. It's not amazing. But, um, you know, in the table work sessions that we were fortunate enough to um, have for this play's rehearsal period, um, we mined a lot of the humanity that's in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is
0: rich. There is so much in it that I I...
1: Like, when I read it, It reads as this really almost farcical Mm send-up of, like, southern people, specifically southern women, helpless southern women. Um, And I'm not interested in that subject matter. Uh, (laughs) But when you are able to mine, I think, what the play is about, which is just humans,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. then then these little moments emerge that are really special. And I think I I think this script gets its inspiration less from like Tennessee Williams and those really uh what, Eugene O'Neill, like those uh-huh. really famous American realist playwrights and yeah. more like Chekhov. I
0: totally it's that's very, exactly, very Chicok. When Eric and I were driving home last night, that's exactly what I said, having just done an interview with um all about Chekhov. It was at the mm-hmm. front of my mind. So that really stood out to me. It's these people experiencing bigger than life circumstances like Mm -hmm. they're all kind of like way at the top of Mm -hmm. what can be experienced by a person in a day like it is it's rough they are having a bad day they all are having a bad bad day as it is said and then we the audience find it really funny when that's totally committed to by the actor. Mm-hmm. The actor can totally grasp that and be like, I'm having the worst fucking day of my life right now. <laughs> and have a tantrum and be vulnerable and express that, that we all feel on those really bad days. Mm-hmm. That's what ma- which is exactly what Chekhov does so beautifully.
1: Yeah. And he, he wrote, in his mind, he wrote comedies. <laughs> I watch I Chekhov agree. now and I, I don't know if I laugh that often. I, I, find, I find Chekhov plays very sad.
0: They are very but, sad, but this play is Exactly. <laughs> his
1: purpose was, I'm going to write about uh, rich, bougie white people yeah. going through horrible things yeah. and watch them essentially run around like chickens with their head cut. Yes. And that's funny to me. Yeah. And that's what this play does. It yes, gets, exactly. these, it gets these, these white people in a room that are having problems mm-hmm. and it witnesses them essentially go through a, a bunch of trial and error how to fix it yeah a lot of time a lot of the time they look like fools a lot of the time they're not listening to the other person in the room Uh which again very Chekhovian yes people are so locked into their very self-centered locked into their own point of view about the world and what they think they they deserve or what they're not getting that they don't that they do not pay attention to what is actually going on or what's going on with their their family member or their scene partner Mm -hmm. um and it's when, it's when these characters, <laughs> you know, um, as the play progresses, it's when these characters actually take a moment to stop and digest what is actually going on as opposed to what they think is going on, mm-hmm. that they actually gain some clarity or, you know, they come to accept this is what's happening to them and it might be okay. Yeah. It takes a while for a lot of those characters to get there, and we have to witness, as I said, <laughs> all of their failed attempts at, right. at restoring order.
0: Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a great way to put it, as at restoring order. Mm-hmm. That's, they are all trying to do that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Every single one. Um, yeah. They have something that has been taken from them, mm-hmm. or that they've lost, or that has been shattered for them, and it causes this really emotional upheaval in all of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, witnessing that and having that having that coming at you for many, many minutes can be really taxing, it can be really annoying. It can be like, oh yeah, woe is me, keep on whining, characters on the stage, who cares? But then as I said, if the storytellers, you know, meaning cast, crew, the whole creative team
2: mm-hmm.
1: makes time to really talk about and delve into what is that about? why is it still important then all of a sudden like i said it becomes it becomes this sort of holding the mirror up exactly experience where yes. oh my gosh i i know exactly what that feels like to just to just be freaking out
0: and there were so many of those moments
1: <laughs> so i i felt
0: like each i really saw for the first time in the script where the connection is for all of humanity with each character mm-hmm. we've all felt like but the fucking jingle bells like why why did you get to have more jingle bells than me? Yeah. like why did you something ridiculous take little
1: bites out of, all yeah, of my something like, that we yeah. hold
0: on to from childhood that still really pisses us off yeah. ridiculously, and there's no reason it should, but it's just an example, you know, of learning about the unfairness in the world and then with with Doc, for example, the lost love and the and the jilted like raw feeling that still exists from a first love and and how that like kind of never goes away and that was so clear you know that relationship so clear oh, good. <laughs> yeah and there's i didn't really realize before how you don't have a lot of opportunity to express that like doc nope. doesn't have much time with the audience to really make a case i guess for who he is and where he's coming from, and...
1: All of the female characters in the play talk about him numerous times. Yes, yeah. He's brought up in a lot of conversations. Yes. So you get his backstory... Right. ...in a, you know, sort of, you know, very Shakespearean, expositional way. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he comes out in his two scenes, yeah, it is that actor's job, my job in this production, to support what people are saying about him, but uh-huh. then also bring his own point of view. yeah about how he feels about those events that they're talking about, what was done to him, what he's like, what his life is like now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and have a, a strong point of view about all those things. And it's, a uni- it's been a unique challenge to have that very limited time to tell that story. I've obviously had many hours off from rehearsal where everyone else is called and I'm not because uh-huh. I have the fewest scenes in the play. Um, and that's a mixed bag. Sometimes you want to be more included in that process. <laughs> but also like, hey, we all want free time and to, to just relax. Um, but now that it's time to actually show the play to people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Trying to figure out how to be the most honest and sincere with those few moments that I have on stage as, as possible and support the rest of the story because there is so much story that Doc is not in. And... Um, You know, I think something that I was dealing with early, in early rehearsals, because, again, I have my time as the actor playing Doc is so exclusive of everyone else's. I felt like I, you know, would kind of walk into the room in in the scene when I'm rehearsing it and almost be in my own world because I'm not constantly being thrust into this world that is being established in this kitchen, which the whole play takes place in a kitchen, as you Mm -hmm. said. And I'm so rarely in it that when I went in, I felt like I was in my own play. But then... That's an
0: interesting experience for Doc, though, to be walking into a space that's totally not his space.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and we've talked about it in rehearsal. I think Doc is the kind of guy, character, that when he walks into a room, he affects the room. Uh-huh. Everyone else actually adapts a little bit to him being there. He's a very grounding force. Yeah. Uh, in a world full of high-volume energy. And he is not a high-volume energy. To- he's yeah, very, it was he's really very quiet and... Okay. When,
0: good. <laughs> oh, to, no, totally. Yeah, good. because those trying to trying to are all... set the foundation
1: for all these women.
0: Whoa, yeah. like yeah, just tantrums. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful, real. <laughs> like they gotta go there. Tantrums, but it it really changes it when Doc walks in, and you're so yeah grounded and
1: he slows it down a little bit. Yeah. He lets the audience he lets yeah. the audience There's and like the characters on stage breath. breathe.
0: That happens. Yes.
1: More. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's
0: really interesting. Yeah,
1: so so um trying to figure out what that force is in the context of this play. So what I've been doing lately is is just sitting back and watching all the scenes happen. Mm-hmm. Watching the ladies do some of their scene work even if I don't have to be there and really kind of glean the vocabulary from them because they're the ones really setting up the construct and the world, along with the director of course. So I get more time with my director without actually having her pay any attention to me. (laughs) Um, And I also get to watch these really dynamic female actors set up this world that I exist in. And it's really helped me, I think, do that more effectively. I I feel more grounded when I come on stage. So that I can then help ground the play. But I, the actor, feel more grounded. I feel more a part of this world that I exist here and I grew up here. Yeah. As a as opposed to being this foreign force that comes in. Definitely. Because he's not he's he's from there. He's got
0: history with all of them. He's got history. He's from from Hazelhurst, Mississippi,
1: like they all are. Right. So he knows the vocabulary. He knows He knows
0: this family. He knows this family. He's known them
1: so it's important, it was very important for me, you know, especially as we were gearing up to get in front of an audience to, to not only fulfill that sort of job I have to ground the energy and to help everyone take a breath and to tell Doc's story, but also tell it within the context of the world that's being right. established and upheld by the rest of the mm-hmm. ensemble. Well, there's such, a,
0: there's such a driving energy mm-hmm. that they are all creating and yep. like a trajectory... And velocity that the play is moving at,
2: mm-hmm. and it
0: it felt that when you would enter that it was it, it didn't drop in energy, it just shifted in like what that experience of energy was, I guess yeah, which is tricky that's a really tricky balance, yeah, because when you're coming in and it's your character's function to ground and to like be this kind of juxtaposition i guess yeah. of world kind of and like that is hard to find where that fits, I guess. And in reading the script, it's hard to find how that fits in yeah. to me.
1: Yeah, it, I, I, I agree with you. But it's like he, Doc sort of downshifts Yeah. the vehicle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's all one vehicle. It's not like yeah. one's on a car and one's on a truck. But right. it's like, okay, we gotta let's go down a couple gears and maneuver in that way mm-hmm. as opposed to taking it up to four and just cruising until we drive up this cliff. Because there are times when it feels like the energy is just going to literally take a nosedive somewhere. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful and exquisite. And we, the audience, get to go through that with the characters. Oh, my gosh, this complete catharsis of, like, explosive energy. And people really need that in life. But at the same time, you can only do that so many times to an audience before they stop listening. So what are those little downshifting moments where we, okay, all right, now we're cruising at a slower speed, the vehicle's still moving, and where are we trying to get to? Mm-hmm. And there's only six of us. It's a small cast, which is awesome, which I, I love being a nice small cast yeah. show. Yeah. And how are the six of us steering the vehicle to actually get to the same place? Because all the characters are, as we said before, they're seeking very similar things, just like life, right? Just like humanity is seeking a bunch of the, the same stuff. But we, as individuals, uniquely figure that out and right. what so i think that's what uh, a big part of what this play is is just simply that human condition of people in a room that want very similar things but there are some other little specific things that they that they need that maybe the other person doesn't want and how are they working together in that moment to to get that for either each other or themselves and how does that affect those relationships and that stuff is those stories are still really really important yeah. For, for people to be to see, so that they know, okay, it's okay if I, it's okay if I freak out, because on the other side of that might be some clarity, you know, and and that's what all these characters are trying to
0: absolutely come away with. Yeah, and it's so interesting <laughs> to me that it ends with such hope. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. like I didn't remember that from reading it or from seeing it before. I don't remember feeling that hope at the end. Yeah, and like, oh wow. There is love in the world, and in this world, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of cake, a lot of cake. and that's it's... so good. Yeah, that's.
1: I mean, it is kind of an iconic, sort of freeze frame. These sisters yeah. laughing and whatever, yeah. and cake, and some people only remember that, and they're like, "That's great, but why do I care?" <laughs> right. You know, and it's just, and it's the energy in which you sort of get to that place that I think is the really important, dynamic part of that story.
0: Definitely, and I think it was so. I think it stood out to me so much with this production because getting there was so tough.
2: <laughs> it was so
0: hard for everyone to, like, admit what was really happening for them, and which, which all the characters really do kind of find a way to... And I think that's so beautiful when Mick says that, like, we need to talk about life. Like, you need to talk about your life with another person. Mm-hmm. So they all kind of do that, talk yeah. about their life. And although you don't see what Doc and Meg talk about, mm-hmm. they spend a whole night together, and who yeah. knows what happens.
2: Yeah.
0: And, yeah, I just think that's so beautiful, that reminder of don't keep it in. Don't hold it in. Let like, it out. Like, let it out. Talk about it. Totally. Because you'll feel a lot better when you do. You will.
1: Exactly. You'll feel a lot better. Yeah. So that,
0: could, and then seeing this payoff at the end, after they do that, they don't. It doesn't bite them in the ass. No, they get to find a moment of peace with that.
1: Yeah, even if it's only a moment.
0: Yeah, which it probably is like, nothing's really solved. But but, it,
1: but it's like that that really sort of glimmering moment of this is an exquisite perfect yeah. moment. Yeah. And we fought tooth and nail to get there, yeah. and that's really gratifying. It's really gratifying, especially if the struggle part of the story is being told with honesty, then that last moment isn't as campy or cartoony as it totally easily could Uh -uh. be. You know, when you read it, again, I read the script and I'm like, is that really the ending? (laughs) Yeah. Beth, is that really the ending? Yeah. Because I'm so used to, I think especially with more contemporary plays and movies and stuff, ending it on some sort of edgy note. Right. (laughs) You know, a lot of endings to stories these days are an an allegory for or a metaphor for that the world is super flawed Uh and imperfect. Which it is. But this story, again, probably dating itself a little bit, ends on this really, really kind of magnificent, hopeful, perfect moment. Not to give the play away. <laughs> but, um, but folks, there's almost three hours of play to enjoy. So, yes, and, the, and, the, and you will. And the story is so intense that it needs two intermissions. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, it's cool and refreshing to, like you said, have a story that, Cool. We like we got to this really nice, awesome place together. Yeah. And we just get to kind of sit in that for like just a minute.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if it didn't end that way, what you know. Obviously, it would be a different experience, but I, I don't. I haven't seen this play many times. I've seen a lot of scenes from it, mm-hmm. but I think this production as a whole really captures that arc that justifies that ending. Yeah. And and it's not at all campy. Cool. It's just necessary then it makes it totally relevant still because we need that reminder that even though we might have a really horrifically shitty day, <laughs> there's going to be another moment that makes it worth living through that.
1: Absolutely. And it is a nice story for the way that the world is right now. Yeah. Even if it's not the most poignant. There are other more poignant stories happening that are really talking about like the state of the way things are. Mm-hmm. But... Sometimes a nice escape from that is really refreshing and helps sort of get us back to zero. And again, if, it's, if that story is we're doing just our damnedest to tell it with honesty and not send up all the stuff that's happening, really you know, tell the story to the audience why. Why are the characters acting this way? Not just showing you that they're acting this way or doing this thing or making this decision, but where is it coming from? In their hearts, in their minds, in their most raw humanity, why? It's one of the main reasons I love being a storyteller, because I get to just tell those stories, because I'm going through it all the time, too, mm-hmm. as a person.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about Doc and what that process has been? I feel like you're very, in other work I've seen you do, you have a really beautiful use of like neutrality and nuance, and Doc is so... Subtle, your doc, is so subtle um, compared to these really bold women that mm. you share the stage with. And yet, as we talked about, matching that energy in a very different way. Um, but I felt so much rich life with doc and, like, so many secrets. Mm. And it's so interesting because all the women have, uh, they ha- all have very clear ideas about doc. Absolutely. um ways of relating to you, chick had a very specific like that was a really interesting history there <laughs> that I hadn't s- seen before yeah. and and then Lenny and you, yeah, can you mm-hmm. describe a little bit what developing those relationships was was and
1: yeah, I mean the first step for me again, because he's only got two scenes, they're not the longest scenes um so my onstage opportunity to, to tell his story is, is brief, but it's that it's that thing we learn in school or, you know, in actor training. What do people say about you, mm-hmm. your character, and what do you say about the, you, This role seems like character. a really good
0: example for actually and you, doing that you work. You
1: have to. You totally <laughs> yeah. have to. So as I'm, you know, sitting backstage or sitting off to the side sort of waiting to do my scenes... I'm tracking, you know, of course the director is helping me with this stuff, you know, tracking all the times that Doc is mentioned in the play by other people and trying to see, okay, is that completely the truth? Is their truth skewed because of their opinion of Doc or the world? When Doc talks about his own personal history with other people on stage, you know, I think he's a big truth teller, so I would never think he skews the truth. So it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so whenever he speaks, it's It's just true, true, blunt, dead on.
0: yeah.
1: And then whenever they speak, um, the other people speak about him. I think it's all true, but you have to think, okay.
0: From what perspective? From what perspective? Right.
1: And so I was constantly taking notes on, okay, so he is this kind of person. He's gone through this kind of history. These are these really important checkpoints in his life that I need to make sure I I don't necessarily need to broadcast them to the audience. That here Doc is, and he's a product of all these things, but I just need to have them in my head. So that when I walk on stage, it's just, again, being honest with what the playwright has chosen to say about this character, who she deemed, you know, important enough to actually put in the play, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just having him mentioned a bunch of times and he becomes this sort of image for people to grasp onto, so that they can talk about one thing, a point of history, yeah, Yeah, exactly, a point in time or an important person in life. You know, Beth Henley, the playwright, she saw fit to put him in two scenes
0: and there yeah. are other characters that are very vibrant characters that are only talked about. They're
1: only talked about. They're in the film.
0: Oh, but in the play, yeah. I yeah,
1: like so some of these characters yeah, that are talked about quite a bit, they're in the movie.
0: That's really weird.
1: Because I think a cinematic <laughs> a cinema audience wants to yeah, see yeah. those right. colors and those people and those That's shapes, you know. Yeah. So yeah, but but Doc's one of mm-hmm. those people. He is in the play. He's in the play twice. So that is how I started, especially sort of with my classical training. Again, so much exposition so much talking about pe- people places and things
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know is what shakespeare did <laughs> so well but sometimes so a l- well. but sometimes a lot right so doing that work and mm-hmm. marking down all the times that people talk about doc and what they say about him and then what doc says when he's on stage what he what he again man a few words very honest what he chooses to say because i think he chooses his words a lot more carefully than probably anyone else in the play does so why does he say what he says what is he trying to do for or get from the other person on the stage with him? Uh, again, because I think he's just a simple guy, and he just he wants that thing for them, or he wants it for himself, and he's just gonna really pretty much take the straightest road to get there. Yeah, um, which is again not something I'm I'm used to playing. I use I tend to market myself as more character roles, both in Shakespeare and and not, but characters that tend to be a little on the on the crazy side, kind of about to go off the deep end, um, they're loud they 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 enter stage and they make a bunch of noise, either literally or you know symbolically they sort of steal the focus mm-hmm. with their high energy yeah. and then they leave and people want them to come back and that's how those characters are written so I'm talking about like Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet or. Gosh, what else? You know, Hotspur and Henry IV Part I, these people that come on and they are so opinionated about something and they are going to make sure that everyone on stage hears their point of view before they leave. I'm, I'm more used to playing those roles. Mm-hmm. And well, you have to, such
0: great physicality. Like, those roles lend themselves to physical actors, which you are, like, that is...
1: I do love me <laughs> seems, some moving me, around. It seems like I usually play really, roles where I really get off stage and I'm, I've broken a sweat.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Doc ain't that. <laughs> no. He's not. There's, he, there's
0: a lot of physicality that has to be explored with Doc. Yeah. But it's... But it's subtle. Very contained, Subtle, too. it's contained. Yeah. Which is...
1: So, again, it, it, that has been a unique challenge for me yeah. as well, talking to the director um, the other day about that subject, about that I'm so grateful... That she gave me the opportunity to play this role because I am so used to coming into an audition situation having to make a bunch of bold choices, and how I was so happy. I mean, you know, just, I was simply happy and and excited to just walk into the room and be able to just sort of speak, you know? Usually just stand there in one spot because, again, he doesn't, he conserves his movement, he conserves Mm. his words and just speak to the other person in the scene with me. It's really refreshing because it, get, it gets back to that that thing that, we're, that we've been talking about a bunch, just that human need to speak, and it doesn't have to be loud, and it doesn't have to be full of movement or attention-grabbing tactics. It could just be walk through the door and begin speaking to someone, simple enough. Human communication. So I've really enjoyed being able to do that in this process and just go on stage and really just talk to someone else. It's been really nice because I know that, you know, (laughs) the next role I do or, you know, the next couple roles I do, they're going to be more high energy and I'm going to have to be able to bring that. Um, But, uh... But the
0: energy is still there with Doc. Yeah. You know? And I think that's... Something I really noticed, that his energy is still really palpable and really strong. It's just bubbling under the surface.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: it's real high stakes for him, too. You know, whatever those stakes were for you as an actor, it's still... You haven't seen this woman in several years. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's unsaid stuff that, like is under the surface. And so I it seems to me that a challenge I might face with that would be keeping that energy up when I can't express it physically.
1: Totally. You know. Absolutely. Like, what that does With my I,
0: arms out I say that. Like <laughs> I, yeah. I express it physically. Her
1: arms extended yeah. into the air. Uh Yeah, and it really, it really affects breathing. There's a, uh, Mm. that scene in particular, that act two scene, um, Doc's final stand, as it were. Uh, the thing I'm trying to, I'm still trying to master in that scene is the breathing, because as an actor, I just, I gotta, I gotta breathe healthfully. I gotta breathe from a diaphragm so that I can speak the words clearly and on volume and, and not pass out. Um... Doc, I think, also wants to be breathing like that because that's how he stays, he stays rigid and focused and that grounding energy, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, this woman from his past opens the door and she's there, and then suddenly, it's that heart is a flutter, you know, the the chest is heaving, and so how do I, how do I tell that story on the stage without actually doing that? kind of breathing myself I'm because then I have,
0: cause you do have to talk a little bit. You have I have words. to talk some more. Have I some have, some to, have to, you say. know,
1: I mean, it was tricky last night in front of a first audience, mm-hmm. you know, cause again, the breathing changes when you get
0: absolutely an audience
1: and we went from, you know, zero people in the, the house the day before a few, you know, a few of the crew, but they're used to the play. So, <laughs> um, to like almost 200 people for a first invited dress, <laughs> There I a have lot of people never, there. I've never been a part of that. I mean, I'm like, cool, 20 people. I know, know it like It's going to be perfect, 20 <laughs> folks. And I was like, oh, no. They filled up, like, a lot of the <laughs> the bottom <laughs> floor. Um, so that definitely affected my breathing, and I have to speak lines on stage as well as, like, take shots of whiskey. Mm. So, So if your breathing's off, you know constantly drinking liquid while trying to speak, it can be challenging. So <laughs> I'm glad I got one audience under my belt so that I can, you know, <laughs> yeah, that tighten my stuff. grip on, on all those little moving pieces. Yeah.
0: The alcohol in that scene is really interesting. The moments when you drink and, you know, that mm-hmm. I watched you a lot in that scene and how, <laughs> like, what was that for you? Because it, well, it was couple... really, there were things about it that I had definite ideas about and, mm. like, how I would have been experiencing that as Doc, encountering this ex-lover and, like, yeah. what I... So I'm interested in...
1: Well, there are a couple <laughs> of very specific scene directions that Beth has put there for us okay. in that scene. Like, they take a drink here, or they finish their drinks oh, cool. in silence. Oh, or he pours them another drink. So we've obviously, you know, we've altered some of that slightly to uh-huh. sort of fit our needs. But trying to stay true to when she said something happens, let's have something happen there. So, yeah, so the, the, the drinking in that scene, for me, is like choreography. Mm-hmm. It's like, this line happens, this line happens, this line happens, drink. This line happens, this line happens, this line happens, drink. But with choreography, it's not just, you're not just going through the motions, you're actually, again, telling a story with right. movement. So, what is the story that the alcohol is telling uh-huh. in the scene? So, it's all, it's all choreographed, it's all on purpose, it all tells a certain story. So sticking to that work that we've done in the room and not just drinking whatever I want. I mean, there are certain moments when it has to happen. But it's like, you know, we're adults. We, we all know by now that alcohol breaks walls down
0: mm-hmm.
1: in communication. Uh, for better, or for worse.
0: Eric and I drank a lot of whiskey the first year of our relationship. Yeah,
1: <laughs> totally. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with whiskey. you. My first year, first year of my relationship, there was a lot of beer, a lot of whiskey. Um, it's and great. It's,
0: now we're married, so you know. A, of yay, Thank alcohol! You,
1: thanks. <laughs> um,
0: it does, but, though. It do, absolutely. It breaks
1: it down, and so you know, you have you have Doc coming into the situation with Meg, middle sister, the one that just just broke his heart some years ago and he hasn't yeah. seen her since
0: she How is... many years has it been? 5. 5. So really in the scheme of an adult life, not that long. Like 5 years no. isn't that long.
1: No, it's not that long, but you know, he's 30
0: mm-hmm.
1: at this point in the play, meaning that happened when he was 25.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a pretty pivotal year in one's life. Uh-huh. Um and so when something really earth-shattering, like a roof falling on you and destroying your leg, <laughs> and a woman that said she wanted to marry you literally just booking it and sort of running away from her life to go be a singer in L.A. And this is running from Mississippi to L.A. Mm-hmm. It's a long trek. Uh, that'll do something to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think, even though he has moved on with his life, he's got a wife, he's got a family, he's got a couple kids, he's just carrying that around with him.
0: But if he's got a couple kids and a wife, within five years, that's a pretty quick...
1: It is. I've, exactly. And that's a statement there. Yeah. That, again, writing down, why would someone do yeah. that? Also, he, as soon as his... It took his leg... Sorry, guys. This is math. and I apologize. <laughs> Um... Took his leg a full year to heal, and once it healed, he, he booked it up to the northeast part right. of, of the USA mm-hmm. to paint houses. Like, he essentially went to the union side
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the states to, to whatever, to work, and with it, very quickly met his now wife and very quickly had a kid. I mean, we're just doing the timeline here. That was some of the work that we did, right? And why does someone as level-headed as Doc do that? Right? And I think he is really trying to mirror, in a way, what, what Meg did. Maybe mm. a little bit more domestically, but he did that. And so I Good. think he's been caring. He's, been, he's had a chip on his shoulder. He's had something to prove. And he, he went and started this family real quick in order to say, I'm, I moved on. Look at, look, hey, everyone, look how I moved on. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really actually saying it to himself more yeah. than to anyone else. Yeah. So having this scene in the kitchen with the booze, uh, and the awkward the awkward moments um, is a way of like, okay, no matter what happens in this scene, whether we fight and I storm out or she storms out or we, you know, fuck in the kitchen or we go somewhere else to have sex or, or we don't, or we just stay up all night talking and singing and drinking and dancing, maybe a little kissing here and there, but nothing really mind-blowing. Yeah. No matter what happens... Doc needs this, this night to happen, uh, yes. regardless of how it turns out, yes. in order to like, keep going forward with his life and being the best person he can be. Because I really think he wants that. I don't yeah. think he's trying to deceive anyone. Right. I don't think he's trying to cheat on his wife. No. I think we have enough characters in, in theater and in movies that want that, you know, TV shows. We have enough, <laughs> we have enough characters in our stories that want those kind of dishonest things. I don't think it helps to show an audience one more. So I really do think he's trying to be as honest as he can and do it the best way he can. So trying to play that of like, I just need to confront this person
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that I can move on with my life and be better. And so maybe she can be better. And uh, I think she is, right? Yes. You know, without giving all the details away. I think she, yeah. she emerges from that night with a, this huge clarity. So that Absolutely. she can be better to herself and be better to other people. Because yeah. that's kind of how it works. It's like when these, all these characters come into the space and they have not been good to themselves of late, and so it's impossible for them to be good to other people. And it's not until they, they find a center within them that they can then extend that positive sort of um, healing energy out into the rest of the world. And I think that's really imp- a really important thing to see because so many of us sh- in the real world <laughs> are just so, you know, um, so very much trying to figure out who the fuck we are. Mm-hmm. And it makes it hard for us to, to give. Right? Yeah. Because we're trying to figure out what the hell we can take. Yeah. And how we can get it. That's a dramatic way of Saying something that's just very human and happens every day, but. Um,
0: but that's what this play is doing. I, this play exactly. is saying exactly that in yeah. a very dramatic, way, mm-hmm. but not so dramatic that it's not be- unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it's a it's a shit show, but every family is a shit show, right? Yeah. I mean, we all have those dynamics and those. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's interesting because n- not every secret is answered in this play. No? There's a lot of stuff that's brought up that is swept back under the rug very intentionally. You Mm -hmm. know, what happened with the dad? We don't know what happened with the dad. Mm -hmm. What happens that night with Doc and Meg? We don't know. She doesn't really
1: elaborate. She gives gives us a vague idea and we have to sort of go on faith that she's telling the truth. Right. Which again, you know, that's kind of her journey. That's like Meg's character's journey of. D- yes, does she tell yes, the truth in that right. moment what happened or is yes. she lying, bending the truth, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Right? Like, did did you ever...
0: guys talk about that? Did you talk yeah. about what happens that night?
1: Yep. Cool. um And those of you that see the play, you get to decide what you think Meg, right. if Meg yeah. is telling the truth about it. I am coming from the perspective as Doc, again, I, I'm not seen post that moment, right? So you don't get to see Doc's perspective. For my, the work that I I'm doing as you know as this character bringing his energy into the space I think I think it was an innocent night of just you know singing dancing talking maybe a little bit of smooching because I think that that is that accomplishes that um redemption mm-hmm. that every character in the play wants Yeah. but specifically Doc's journey I think that is the I think by by a, a, a um Achieving that redemption in the most honest, sort of innocent way possible, I think tells his story the way that he's that his character deserves to be presented. Because again, I I'm not I don't I'm not interested in in creating a, a dishonest sort of character who's really nice but has these motives. Again, I I played that enough. I've seen it enough. It is in a lot of scripts. Great, those. Those roles are super fun. <laughs> right? And complex.
0: Mm-hmm. And serve a purpose in, that, in those stories. And serve a
1: purpose. More often than not, they're more entertaining than the honest characters. Right. Um, entertaining to play and to watch. But I'm not interested in that for Doc. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what Beth wrote.
2: Yeah.
1: I think she wrote a more simple, honest, innocent man. And that's... And again... I have this unique opportunity of playing a role, this kind of a role that I don't get to play very often, and I really, I, I, I it's more interesting and gratifying for me to tell to tell his story in that really just sincere, noble, yeah,
0: role. yeah, which is in pretty stark contrast to the rest of the play. Not that they're not also honest and noble in their own way, but in a very different way. Yeah, you know. No doesn't no one comes across as evil, you know, even But they gotta
1: get their hands dirty and they gotta look yeah, real ugly. Yeah. To get where they
0: exactly get to. yeah. Yeah.
1: They define, have a lot of to find
0: that redemption for themselves. Yes.
1: They have to go through a lot of dirty, dirty, gritty, gross, non flattering moments to mm-hmm. achieve that redemption. And then you have the other male character in the play, Barnett Lloyd, who's the young um, lawyer for Babe, the youngest sister who shot her husband in the stomach. Um, and and he is a truly good, noble character as well. I mean, both of the guys, again, are these grounding forces for these women. Yeah. Which is its own gender-related topic. It is. That is a sticky subject it to is. talk about. We
0: can talk about it, though. We but, might as well talk about it. Because I am, it is really interesting.
1: Yeah. But he that comes dynamic. in, he, but he, Barnett, that character comes in with this much more young sort of butterfly flitty mm-hmm. energy. He's pretty high energy, too.
0: Yes, he's got
1: something to prove that is much more active and fiery, and needs to be needs to be sort of heard now. Right. Um, And so, in a way, he matches uh, the energy with the women a little bit, and I think that I think it's one he's younger, and two because I think that's how he finds a way to sort of break through to them Uh by matching their, their energy.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas, so he's
0: not so much of a threat. Yeah, you know, it's, it yeah. Like he's, not, a, makes he's him like, not this
1: polarizing... No, nope, I'm the
0: same but, as you, and I also need something out of this, the, so actually you can trust me for real. Absolutely. Like you really Please can.
1: trust me, I'm here for you, great. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas Doc's older and more established in the yeah. world, and he just doesn't yeah. need to come in with that. It's not his style. In fact, if he was forced to be like that, and he is, for just a very brief moment in the play, I think it totally rattles him and shakes him, and he just can't. <laughs> he, and then he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, as far as the gender topic, it's one of those things where, uh, the, which again, is one of the reasons that reading this play is rough. You have a bunch of these, uh, I'll use the word caricatures of women.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Caricatures of Southern women, specifically Mm -hmm. Southern people have their own sort of identity in our society. Right. Because of certain iconic people from the South.
0: And it's Southern women, it's young Southern women mm-hmm. in the late, se- mid to late 1970s. 1974. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, 1974. Yeah. So mid-70s so, Southern
1: women. Like, were... that's
0: an interesting time yeah. in the South, yeah. 1974. is a very interesting time in history in the South.
1: Absolutely.
0: Which the play does touch on a little bit. That's another, in- that next... On the Mm -hmm. docket. of So after gender, I want to talk a little bit about the race Mm -hmm. situation in that play. Because I think that's a really interesting... Mm -hmm. Anyway. Okay. So, gender. Anyway. Yes. Gender in this play is very... Eric and I talked about it on the drive home last night a little bit. Like, the lawyer having his own... It's interesting that that he has his own reasons for needing to represent Babe. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just the way the men and the women are written is very different, and mm-hmm. it's interesting. Okay, talk.
1: <laughs> now you <can> talk.
0: <laughs> talk um, about that.
1: <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, again, reading it, it's like, wow, caricatures of women. Yes. Ugh, who cares? Um, and then also, like, the, po- the men are the polar opposite, but, like, they're super, like, they're super steady, they're yeah. rock steady, they're, yeah. they're pillars, they got it all under control. Yeah. Great. You know, that's not fair, and it's not interesting. But it's also, you know, again, in the table work and sort of the the, the gear-up work that we were doing to start sort of getting the words in the air, tell the story. It is written for its time, though, too. Yeah. Where women sort of fulfilled one role, Mm -hmm. and men fulfilled another role, especially in the South, and no one had a problem with it. But it's a it's a tricky thing. It's a, there's a there's a, a there's a fine line you tread, right? You don't want to you don't want to present crimes of the heart, and again, put caricatures of women and caricatures of men on stage and have them sort of duke it out. Right. No. Right. <laughs> um, you got to you really got to come at it from that human sort of angle. Yeah. Otherwise, you're lost. But she she wrote a play that is set in 1974 in rural Mississippi, very small town Mississippi, where I think society has, you know, their society has put women in a corner. They have no control. I mean, it's in the text that they have no control, really, over anything. Babe, the younger sister who shot her husband, she was essentially forced into that marriage. Like, she was, it was a matchmaker situation, right? Her grandfather, who thought he was doing her good, right? He was trying to do good. Essentially set her up with this really rich, powerful, you know... Who's
0: gotta be quite a lot older... It's never yes. said how old he is, but if he.
1: Yeah, she's 24. Has he's, she I, was
0: 18 when they got married. Yeah,
1: I think we said something like that. He's at least 10 years older.
0: Yeah. If not more.
1: Because he's also a lawyer and now a statesman.
0: And has history with the young lawyer's dad. Right. So, like.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's weird. But he's incredibly abusive.
0: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: So now she's this young woman, essentially forced into a situation where um, she has no power in the household and her husband's never around and he beats her. Mm -hmm. Um, You have the middle sister who essentially rebelled so much against society in her youth, doing drugs and having sex with boys and all this stuff, because because society was telling her to be a woman is this, Mm -hmm. is not those things. Mm -hmm. She got so stuck on that track that then she... Found a man, Doc, who would have been good to her for the rest of her life, and she just did, could not handle it.
0: Right.
1: Right? So she went off to L.A. to be like, okay, you know what? Fuck it, I'm going to be a lounge singer. Because that's, that's how I'm going to... That will
0: be good. That'll
1: be good. That's, that's I'm going to be happy choice. that way. Yep. Now, she, I think, probably was happy for a short period of time, but then she gets sick and she has no means mm-hmm. to help herself get better because no one has given her those tools because she's a woman, so people would expect her to get married and then her husband can protect her from that sort of stuff. And then you have the older sister who is stuck in the grandfather's house and when he gets sick, you know, terminally ill almost, no one else is around. So she's got to take care of him and therefore pretty much leave all of her own wants and her own needs that would make her a happy person. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That leaves her in a state of essentially just like, you know, purgatory. Right. She's waiting for grandfather to pass away so that then she can figure the rest of her life out, but she's been taking care of him for so long and living in that house for so long. Mm-hmm. She actually doesn't know.
0: Right. What's after that? What's, like what's the reality? What's out there? Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: again, she has a man that she found through a, you know, what is it? Like the the precursor
0: to online dating. Exactly. <laughs>
1: I mean, like the we'll call it the, the one the Tinder in, of yesterday. The, yeah, exactly, the one it ads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and, and they go on a couple of great dates and he's super nice to her and great and she can't handle it. She doesn't yeah. know how. Yeah. And then you have the the nosy first cousin woman who is, you know, domestic, has bratty kids, probably a neglective husband, mm-hmm. and so she needs gossip and she needs right. to infiltrate everyone else's life and in order to feel important.
0: The, yeah, the, she needs the power there because she be does control. not
1: feel important. Yeah. I mean, you can see it.
0: Oh, on, <laughs> The way that she
1: walks into the room and just owns it and takes it from everyone else. She obviously needs it to be important, being in the women's league and all that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you have the men.
0: Beautiful performance that is Chick by Angela DiMarco. Totally. Gorgeous.
1: Absolutely. She knows what's up. Um, (laughs) And then you have the men men. who bring the power in, who bring the clarity in, who bring the thought, who bring the, you know what I mean, the nice, smart words that make everything okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Again, there's a stereotype in that, a stereotype that is not fair and is wrong. But I think, but smartly, I think Beth is putting that out there and saying these are the roles that these people were put into mm-hmm. by society. Yes. They didn't necessarily want them.
0: Great point. Yeah. Right? That's and very now true. let
1: the games begin. Yeah.
0: In <laughs> writing those caricatures, as Chekhov does, he uh-huh. writes these caricatures of the roles in Russian society yeah. at that time. So she's writing the roles, the caricatures of the roles of mm-hmm. southern society at that time, and make of it what you will. Audience. Right. And as yeah. the storytellers, as
1: the actors, as yes. the creative team... We can't mock that stuff. And have to say, okay, these characters are stuck in something that they don't want and how is it affecting who they are right. and what they do. Yeah. So I think that's that's like that's actually kind of one of the messages that again uh-huh. reading it, it's actually hard to glean. I don't right. I'm like, ugh, these women are annoying. Yeah. But then getting really skilled actors to play them and actors that don't mock them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that really get to that honest. Really raw. There's, oh, there's some rawness, man. That yeah. Is, you just can't take your eyes off it. Yes. And then we emerge from that story like, oh man, it it was so hard for them to exist in that time. Those women in the South or anywhere yeah. in 1974. Yeah. All the men have the power. You know, whether Absolutely. they're good or bad men, they have yeah. the power. And here's what's done with it, right? And you know, we we mentioned the whole racial thing. Right, you know, the civil rights is a huge topic still, but it was an even bigger top, you know, topic.
0: And it's a big topic in American theater today totally. too. Absolutely. So that's one reason I think it's so interesting to do this play, even mm-hmm. because if you see a casting announcement for Crimes of the Heart, race is absolutely written into this play. So it's going to be a cast of white folks, mm-hmm. which is an interesting yeah choice. It's an interesting play to and do, and the fact
1: that the whole racial part is. Is kind of mentioned and then and then thrown away. Yes. it's not dwelled on. It's, it's not, not beaten on. over the head. Nope. I think it was probably more of a strong the fact that that one of the sisters having an affair with a, a black boy, boy, young boy, yes, black, was a much bigger topic in the in 1974, uh-huh. and also a much bigger topic when the play was written. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I think it. I don't think Beth wanted to write a play that knocked you over the head with that. Right. I think she was like. These women, specifically one of them, but these women are now having to, are being thrust into the civil rights discussion because, uh-huh. because,
0: of the, yeah. because
1: they're trying to figure out what the boundaries are and I'm unhappy, I don't, you know, I'm unhappy, I want to, I'm, I'm going to fool around with this black boy, you, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, as a way of saying, no, fuck that, I'm taking the power back, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing wrong with it. There is something wrong with it, but there's also nothing wrong with right. it. Right, but it's interesting in the,
0: of the the of nothing brain. wrong with it, like, is it, which part is supposed to jar them more? The fact that he's black or the fact that he's 15? Like, what is more, <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, that's a really interesting choice to me that, not that he's, like, 17 or, you know, on the cusp of, like, almost adult. adulthood. Yeah. He's, 15. he's not. He's... 15 and maybe he maybe he looks like a pretty grown up 15 year old but right. that is not an adult. Yeah. So it's interesting like that's really jarring for me mm-hmm. from this context of our society now. That's like mm-hmm. whoa hang on. I get that she but she's like kind of stuck in this with the sugar symbolism and like her yeah. whole thing Absolutely. stuck in that like, she relates probably better to him than to other adults she's yeah. meeting, because other adults are probably... And
1: that's a beautiful thing, and yeah. also a big taboo thing.
0: Yeah, right and yeah. And so yeah.
1: we get to sort of hear and experience that briefly, that that's something that's happening in her life. Yeah. And in the world of right. the time. I mean, it was happening in the world, too. Yeah. But it's also not a play about that. Right. Right? It's a play that's about right. something much more simple. And so that did come up pretty early in the rehearsal of, like, so... Okay, so this is a play about a bunch of white people. And, yeah. and race is mentioned briefly, you know, a few times briefly. The characters have their responses to the racial topic. And yeah. then we move on to the much sort of more simpler, almost more non-important topic, right? But that's what the play's about. Yeah. So, you know, the director and, and, and we were like, okay, Beth Henley didn't write, did not write a play about black and white relations. Mm-hmm. She wrote a play about that thing we're talking about, just simple... Human condition through the lens of these six white characters. Yeah, and that's what you get. Yeah, and we have to tell that story, right? You want to see a, p- a play about civil rights or race? You know, yeah. Go watch the go Mountaintop. Yeah. Go watch Disgraced. Go see intimon's Summer Season. Right? Go do that because those stories are very important, mm-hmm. and it's good that those stories are being told. And I, they are some of the best plays out there.
0: Mhm.
1: Right, but it ain't Crimes of the Heart. Right. So we have to tell the story that we're given. Yeah, you know you can't.
0: Yeah,
1: it's not like Shakespeare. You can't like restage it in the Harlem Renaissance, right? You know, so that we get to see more of that minority perspective, mm-hmm. which is beautiful, which needs to be done more often. I think in theater in general, that needs to be done more often. The lens of the non-white people mm-hmm. needs to be seen more often, but that's not crime of the heart, right? And that's the play that we got. Yeah, that's the story that we're telling. So we have to tell the story. Um, Again, with the honesty that is put in it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's what it is. Yeah. So people need to people need to come. You know, people need to know come that. to this play, it's, knowing that yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. You get a, you're gonna dabble in that. You're gonna get a dabble in the topic, and then we're gonna move on. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And
0: it's still telling a story. And it's still of telling humans. a story.
1: And then we're gonna go. And but now we're gonna go watch some of these newer plays about that. And it's gonna be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's gonna be. It's gonna shake us in a different way. Right. And it's all important. So yeah, I guess yeah. I think that's
0: that's the important point. It is all important. Yeah, every experience that humans have. But because this is not like public
1: domain classical theater, this is contemporary theater. You you cannot adapt it to fit your means. You just got to tell the story. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, and like it is in in its essence, it is a story about white people's experience in the South in this time. Like that's what it is.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I have a huge, (laughs) I have a huge lineage on my dad's side, Texan people, Southern people. (laughs) I was born in Arkansas, so uh-huh. it's been a while, you know. Uh, I'm Pacific Northwest raised, but thank goodness. But um, but it's been really interesting and fun and enriching for me to be able to have access to some of this part of my history yeah. that I don't really know about very much, you know. Um, sort of to be given the timeline of what was happening in the USA, in the South, in Mississippi, in the decades building up to this play, and after to be shown restaurant menus, pamphlets, roadmaps, you know, um, brochures, videos, like video clips from Mississippi Today. The director spent a couple weeks this past summer with her sister just road tripping throughout Mississippi, mm. taking it in. She made some videos for us to just show us what Hazelhurst, which is where the play is set, what it looks like now, what the what is it, town hall looks like. I mean the thing that takes up the most space in that town I think is a cemetery. So essentially <laughs> the population of the dead people from there rivals the population <laughs> of the alive people there. <laughs> That's which tells really you something cool. about a town.
0: Yeah, it does.
1: And what where what they're, the roots are. What the roots are. Yeah. How important family, family, family is and right. how important it is to even if you even if you went somewhere else in Mississippi or some other state, your body would be brought back to Hazelhurst to be buried. Yeah. That's the kind of town that we're in, yeah and a lot of us, I think specifically on the west coast, we're not from that kind of a context right you know the West Coast is really all about finding yourself mm-hmm. and being different from your family and your past what do what am I going to get from myself and for my my future generations We're very progressive over here right right yeah, and so that's what i that's what I have you know my dad's from Texas, my mom's from Jersey
2: yeah
1: but I think they moved us out to the West Coast fairly early in my life because that's what that's what they wanted for themselves. Yeah. They were like, Uh, ah, we're kind of over where we come from, hmm. and we want we want our son to experience sort of this progressive energy so that's what i've grown up with, even though I remember Arkansas very well and have all these relatives from from Texas and the South that just have all these these such different opinions from me <laughs> um, but it's been really. Really cool to like and really rich in, in enriching to visit that part of the world and have to talk like it and have to think like it a little bit. And it's cool. It, feel, it feels like I'm connecting to, you know, these five generations of people that I never yeah. got to meet. And it makes me like, it makes me want to like go down, go down to some of those southern states and do theater. Yeah. And like do what I love for a living and. And keep keep being an artist and you know, and a liberal and all that stuff. <laughs> you know, my, my my blue state state of mind, but also get to see Yeah. Kind of
0: what that world is. What that world is. It's a is whole now. different it, it's world. It's a whole, dif- it's it a whole really different thing.
1: Is. And but I'm like I am so curious about it now.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and I think I've, I've been thinking about it quite a bit lately, mm-hmm. you know, having to just sort of delve into this character and, and put his his brain in a just a different place from mine. Yeah. Um, because so many of the things that he wants are similar to me, but they're also so different. And it's been really kind of kind of cool. You know, other characters I've played again, especially in plays that you can sort of adapt to fit your needs, you know, classical stuff. So many of them I've been able to approach from my own what I want. Uh-huh. You know, my own drive. I can kind yeah. of I can I can inject more of myself and my speed and the way I do things into those roles. Mm-hmm. But with this one, it's sort of like he he is... Doc has had to inform me about a lot of stuff. Interesting. Not the, not the other way around. Yeah. It's been really cool. He's a cool guy. He's cool. <laughs> he's, really, he's a very cool guy. That's awesome. I would love to have a beer with him sometime. <laughs>
0: yeah. So um, Crimes of the Heart runs in Issaquah, January 21st through... February? Do you know?
1: <laughs> I think like I think February. I think February twenty eighth. I think we okay. end on a matinee on the. I think it's the twenty eighth.
0: Okay, and then yeah. you pick back up in Everett.
1: Pick back up in Everett that next weekend. March. Like, we'll, you know, so March. beginning of March, and then very I think... beginning of March. Like we'll tech, like on that Wednesday, first yeah. Wednesday in March. We'll tech, maybe have another rehearsal, but like we we open very quickly, first weekend in March, and okay. run in Everett for I think a month. Great, a full month.
0: And tickets are available through mm. villagetheater.org. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's theater with an R-E. At the end, yes. The classical yes. spelling. Village
0: Theater. Uh, and go see the show, because it does tell a unique story, and very, very well. Thanks, Alina. Thank you so much.